I think that there's, there's a couple of things that I think just about everyone in this room longs for. One of those things is greater intimacy with the Lord. So many of us, we're in this. You know, I, 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 didn't, I, didn't, I didn't become a Christian in order to plant churches or to save anyone's soul. I didn't become a Christian in order to pray for healing for anyone or to preach the gospel. I became a Christian because I met Jesus and he was irresistible and I needed him. And I needed to be close to him. And I knew that when, when I heard the gospel of, of salvation from sin and brokenness, I, I, I didn't need convincing. I knew I was sinful and I knew I was broken. And for many of us, our, the reason we're here is we long for greater intimacy with him. And the second thing we long for that comes out of the first is we long uh, to see the miraculous in greater measure. We long, we all know anyone who's a pastor, anyone who's involved in church leadership, anyone who's involved in their community outside the church, we know that there is incredible brokenness in our world. We know that there are many who are lonely, who are broken, who are struggling. And we long, don't we, to see more of the power of God manifest to set people free? Well, I want to suggest this evening that um, uh, as well as some other stuff, there is a, a mis a, an ingredient that we need to get to grips with that we don't talk about very much if we long to see these things in greater measure. And in order to introduce what that ingredient is, uh, I just want to read from the beginning of Jesus' first miracle in John chapter 2. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Listen to Jesus' response. Woman, why do you involve me, Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. Do you know when I first read that, I thought that bit, my hour has not yet come, I thought that's a good line. <laughs> I thought, I'm going to use that. I was, I was 16. And so the next time my mum came up to me and she said, Michael, I want you to tidy my, your room. I looked her in the eye and I said, mum, my hour has not yet come. It didn't work for me. But listen to what Mary says. His mother said, don't talk like that to your mother. No, she didn't. She didn't say that at all. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And that's the title of this little sermonette. The title is, do whatever he tells you. That's the secret. And Mary said that to the servants. Now, what I've heard for years on that do whatever he tells you, I've translated it like this. Do whatever he tells you when what he tells you seems to make sense. Do whatever he tells you when what he tells you isn't too risky. Do whatever he tells you when what he tells you, you happen to agree with. That is not obedience, that's agreeing with Jesus. Obedience is doing what he tells you when it doesn't make sense, when it is scary, when you'd rather not do it, and you don't completely understand why. 
because that's the nature of trust. And for the servants, immediately, immediately they had an opportunity to put this into practice. Because after Mary said to them, do whatever my son tells you, Jesus says to them, you see these six stone water jars? I, I want you to fill them with water. Now, if I was one of the servants, at that point, I would have probably said something like this. Excuse me, Mr. Christ, but we were listening to your conversation with your mum, and we distinctly heard her say to you that they've run out of wine. What we have here, Jesus, is a wine deficit, not a water shortage. We don't need any more water. We've got enough. What we... What we need is more Chateau Neuf de Pap. We do not need, we do not need any more San Pellegrino. Now, if I said that to Jesus, he would have said to me, excuse me, Pilavachi, but did you not hear what my mum said to you? She said, do whatever I tell you. Now, the disciples did that. They did, they did, bless, they did, they did what they were told. Did they understand? They can't have done. Water? Why do we need more water? We got water. We, we need wine. Oh, well. And then it gets worse. Jesus says, I want one of you um, to, uh, to, uh, to, to take a goblet, to take a cup, and take it to the master of ceremonies. Fill it with the dirty water. Can you imagine the servants? Who's going to do that? I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. You're the youngest. You do it. You know? And... Uh, and it was like, can you imagine the servant who drew the short straw? I'm going to get my head kicked in. I'm just a slave. I'm going to take this goblet of dirty water. The master of ceremonies is going to drink it. He's going to spit it out. And then I'm going to be in such trouble. They take it. And, and the master of ceremonies starts to drink. And then he says, stop. And the servant's hearts are in their mouths. Oh, no. And he says, woe to the bridegroom. You have left the best Chateau Neuf de Pape to the end. This is stunning. And then before you knew it, all the guests were, were drinking the dirty water and were like smelling it and saying, yes, it has overtones of black currant and licorice. And yes, oh, oh my goodness. And the servants were like, ah. Huh? Because you know there's a, there's a line here that says, I love the line, it says, but the servants knew. The servants knew, it says. They were the only ones that knew, of course, Jesus as well. So everyone was like, oh, wow, but, but, but it's dirty water. And don't you just, I'm just sure, I can't prove this till we get to heaven. And I know this is slightly extra biblical, but, but <laughs> I, 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 I think, well, I, 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 I don't, you know, don't you, that Jesus probably looked at the servants and went, huh? he did, didn't he? He did. And they were like, <laughs> you see, it was Jesus' secret with the servants. It was their secret. What was that? There was an intimacy. At that moment, at the place of obedience, the servants who knew had intimacy with Jesus. They were in on the secret with him and no one else was. Jesus says in John 15, I no longer call you servants 
for a servant does not know what his master is doing. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything, everything I received from my Father, I have made known to you. You know what? We should have a, a month's conference on that verse one time. Just stop and think, I call you friends, for everything, everything I've received from my Father. There's no family secrets from you. I have made known to you intimacy, intimacy and miracle in the midst of the place of obedience. I just want to look at one more passage and then we're going to go and have a late supper. Well, I am. Because <laughs> it's, it's, it's a whole two hours since I hate. Um, <laughs> Matthew 14. Matthew 14. Verse 22, listen to this. Jesus has just fed 5,000 people with a little boy's picnic. And then we read this. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Now, I don't know if, you're, if this is your experience, but my experience is there are certain scriptures that I have read hundreds and hundreds of times. And then it's like, I don't know, the 732nd. It's like, how did I not see that? Don't you have that? Well, this scripture, there are things, I don't know how I miss them. But here's the first one. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. He made them get into the boat. He made them get into the boat. The Greek is really strong. It's, it wasn't a mild suggestion. It happened something like this. It was, hey boys, um, I want you to get into the boat and overnight I want you to row to the other side and uh, I'll join you in the morning. Uh, okay, boss, um, how are you going to get over? I've got my own transport sorted out. Don't worry about that. Um, Jesus, the boys and I, we've been on the internet and we've been looking at the weather forecast and it's really not good for overnight and some of us are fishermen and this is where we do our job and it's not good. Not good. So if it's all the same to you, uh, we'll stay here and we'll go over with you in the morning. Get in the boat. He made them get in the boat. Sometimes, sometimes Jesus deliberately sends us into storms. Why? Because he hates us? No. No. Because he knows. He knows that it's often in the middle of the storms that we come to the, the place of greatest intimacy with him. It's often in the middle of the storms of life that we meet him at the deepest level and we see the greatest miracle. Why? Because it's often in the storms that we have to rely on him, that we have to depend on him. So there they are. They're going through the storm. And that the storm goes. They're going through the water and they get scared. And then listen to this in verse 25. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Now, I, I tell you, you know, I, one of the things I love, I think is hilarious about the Gospels, is the number of times the disciples didn't recognise Jesus. I mean, they only spent virtually every day with him for three years. And I mean, I mean after the resurrection, it, I mean, it's hysterical. You know, it's like... It's like the number of times they didn't recognize him. And do you know what? After the resurrection, they were filled with disappointment because they didn't understand. And disappointment often causes us not to recognize Jesus when he comes to us. And in this instance, it's not disappointment, it's fear. 
Often when we're filled with fear and Jesus comes to us, we think he's a ghost. So what does Jesus do? He speaks. That's why we've got to be in the word. We've got, we've got to be men and women of the word as well as the spirit. And what does he say? Um, he said, but Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. There are three phrases there. And the two on the outside, take courage, don't be afraid, they're very similar to each other. But, but you know what? They're like the two pieces of bread in the sandwich. The peanut butter and jam in the middle is it is I. That's how, that's how we end up being able to take courage and not be afraid because it is I. Now, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm, to get ordained, they made me go to St. Melitus uh, on a Monday for a few times when I wasn't traveling. And I had to write three essays, which were rubbish. And uh, I didn't have to take any exams. So, you know, I, my, my friend and colleague, Andy Croft, got a first in theology at Cambridge. And I got my driving license. And, uh, <laughs> and so I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm never, you know, I'm hardly an intellectual. And uh, I, I, I've never done New Testament Greek. I wouldn't know New Testament Greek if it hit me in the face. But I am Greek. <laughs> and, and as a Greek, as a Greek, I have authority here. As a Greek, I want to tell you, listen, because we're in a hurry now. Um, that phrase, it is I, in the original Greek, it's ego ime. And ego, which is um, ego, where we get ego from. And uh, as a Greek, I know that if you wanted to translate that literally, ego ime literally, literally would mean ego is me, ime is me. <laughs> See, this is deep. This is deep. Can, can I just say to you, you know N.T. Wright? You know the theologian chappy? Um, you know he, no, I won't say that, I won't waste time. I won't waste time. I won't waste time. No, 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 let's get on. No, 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 discipline, discipline, discipline. Come and ask me afterwards. Um, it's me, it's me. And do you know that phrase? It, that's the phrase that is used in the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament, when Moses encounters the Lord at the burning bush. And Moses says, what shall I say your name is? And the Lord says, I am who I am. Tell them I am has sent you. And in the Greek version, I know it was written in Hebrew, but, but trans in the Septuagint, the Greek version is ego ime. So another way of Jesus saying is take courage. I am who I am. Do not be afraid. And that's the reason we don't be afraid. And then... I love what happens next. This is really good. And I, I just want to say this in all humility. I think there are, there are certain things that I see in the Apostle Peter that I see in myself. I think there are certain similarities. That, no, I don't... You know, <laughs> I'm glad you find it so funny. 
and, and I, I don't think I'm rocky. I don't think, you know, on anything I... <laughs> OK, this side, you can just leave. <laughs> I'm going to talk to you. <laughs> I don't think I'm rocky. I don't think on any confession I've made, Jesus is building his church. In, in this instance, in this way alone, both of us open our mouths before our brains are in gear. And this is what Pete does, and it's classic here, right? But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Before he can stop himself, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. <laughs> what have I just said? And then before, before Pete can say, only joking, <laughs> Jesus says, come on then. And can you imagine the other disciples? Off you go, mate. <laughs> Big mouth, you've done it again, you've done it again. Let's see it, let's see, he's told you, off you go. <laughs> Come, said Jesus. I'm gonna read the next bit, listen to this. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Now, I have read this passage hundreds of times. And do you know how I've read it for years? I've read it as Pete's great failure. I've read it like this. If, Lord, if that's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Come on then. Pete gets out of the boat, he starts walking on the water. After a while, he takes his eyes off Jesus. He looks at the waves and the effect of the wind. And he starts, starts to shake. He takes his eyes off Jesus. He starts to sink. And he's drowning. And he's taking in water. And he's like flapping around. He's saying, Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. Jesus sees, oh no, Pete's drowning. What am I going to do? I need him for the Acts of the Apostles. And, and so Jesus dives into the water. He does the front crawl. He gets behind Peter. He uses a life-saving technique. He learned at Nazareth swimming pool when he was a kid. He says to the disciples, quick, get the rubber ring, get the ropes, help me save Pete's life. We need him for the Acts of the Apostles, well, at least the first half. And, <laughs> and they, get, they get Peter into the boat and he's, he's, there's, he's lying on the boat. Jesus gets into the boat, dripping wet. He's soaking wet. He gets on top of Peter. He gives him mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation. As Peter splutters back to life, Jesus says, while he's got his knee on his chest, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Where did I get that from? That's not what it says, is it? For years, that's how I've read it. 
I've read it as Pete's great failure. I don't think so at all. I think it's Pete's great success. Yes, of course, he took his eyes off Jesus and he started looking at the effect of the wind and the waves and he started to sink. But it says immediately he said, Lord, save me. If it was me, I would have immediately tried to save myself. And if I wasn't managing it, I would have asked my friends to save me. And if that didn't work, I would have dialed 999 and I would have got the, the ambulance, the Coast Guard and the fire engine. And, I would have, I, and then as a last resort, I might have asked Jesus immediately, immediately. First thing he says, Lord, save me. And do you hear what Jesus does? Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. He reached out his hand and caught him. And the obvious implication is that Peter and Jesus walked back to the boat on the water, hand in hand, the two of them. Jesus reached out his hand, caught him, lifted him up, and then they went for a walk on the Sea of Galilee. And they walked through the waves. And I think far from being... Uh, Peter's great failure. I think it was Pete's great success. I think he lived off this story for the rest of his life. I think for years to come at, at church planting parties, if you're in the vineyard, or, or cocktail parties, if you're an Anglican, somebody would have asked Pete for years to come, Peter, could you tell us about your, that's your walking on the water with Jesus story? We'd love to hear that. We've heard, and, and I can imagine Peter, oh, not that again. Oh, I've told that story so many times. Oh, can I bear to say it again? Oh, okay, I'll say it one more time. Gather round, everyone. I'm going to tell my walking on the water story. Gather round. Well, I mean, it was like this. I mean, uh, we, were, we were sailing across the Sea of Galilee overnight. It, it was very, very choppy. The boys were scared, but I was okay. And, uh, and then, in the, you know, just before dawn, Jesus came walking on the water to us, and the boys said, oh, it's a ghost, it's a ghost. And I said, no, it's Jesus. And I said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you. And he said, come on. And I got out of the boat, and I started walking towards Jesus. Now, the, the next bit's a little bit hazy. I can't quite remember the details. <laughs> Um, uh, but basically, to cut a long story short, um, it ended up with the Lord Jesus and I, we were walking on the water together, holding hands. Did I mention we were holding hands? We were like this, walking on the water across the water. What was it like? Oh, I don't know how to I describe it. I mean, it was liquid, but it was firm. It was kind of, it was kind of bouncy, like a soft play area. And... Uh, and it was just, it was like across the waves. It was like a gentle roller coaster. I mean, the only people who've ever done it are myself and the Lord Jesus. And um, he, he, he's gone up to heaven. So I suppose I'm the only one left to, who can describe what it means to walk on the water. It was, it was amazing. And did I mention to you that, that, that we were holding hands? Yes, the Lord, as we were walking through the waves back to the boat, we were hiding. And, and to be really honest with you, to this day, I can't be absolutely certain whether I was holding him up or he was holding me up. I mean, it was just, it was just the two of us, hand in hand. Now, do you know how I know he said that? Do you know how I know that he said that? Because I would have said that if it was me, and so would you. Now, just a little aside. If Jesus was holding Pete's hand, walking on the water, while he was holding his hand, do you think for a moment, 
that Jesus would have said while he was holding Pete's hand, you have little faith, why did you doubt? <laughs> have you noticed how we always give God an angry voice? Have you noticed that? We do. I think it was more like this. I think it was while he was holding Pete's hand, walking back to the boat. I think it was more like, oh, Pete, did you think I was going to let you drown? Honestly, Pete, why don't you trust me, you silly sausage? Why don't you, <laughs> Pete, Pete, you, I wasn't going to let you drown, you twit. <laughs> I think it was more in that tone. It may not have been those exact words. I think it's got the exact words in here, but... <laughs> I'm talking tone here, tone. And, and do you know, I say this as we start to come into land. I say this, guys. In the middle of the storm, as Peter obeyed, by getting out of the boat, even though he felt he was drowning, in the place of his obedience, Jesus held his hand and Peter had his most intimate encounter with his saviour and saw the greatest miracle in the middle of the storm. As you seek to change the world, to plant churches, to go on adventures, to, to stretch finances. Obey him. If you want intimacy, when he says, you may not understand it all, you may not agree with it all, you may not feel ready, you may not, just do whatever he tells you. Listen to Mary. Listen to Mary. Do whatever he tells you. You know, um, there's a book that's been doing the round in, in the Church of Jesus for, the, like, for years, and it's, for the way some talk about it, it's like you can't be a proper Christian unless you've read it. It's not the Bible, it's this book, The Five Love Languages, and you know, and it's like, you know, who's, who's read it? Yeah, 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 all right, put your hands down. And, and you know, it's like, you know, it says that all of us, we have one of five love languages and, and they've written the five love languages and there was the five love languages for married people, the five love languages for engaged people, the five love languages for single people. Pretty soon it'll be five love languages for blue-eyed people, left-handed people. It's just a money-making scheme. Um, <laughs> whereas everyday soup, no. Um, <laughs> it's a joke. And... And, and it's like, you know, it says that the thesis of the book is we all operate in one of five love languages. Uh, touch, um, physical contact, um, uh, gifts, um, quality time, uh, words of encouragement, and acts of service. And when I first read that, I, I had a real panic. I won't lie to you. And I was like frozen because I thought, none of those are mine. I don't have any of those. I have a sixth love language that isn't in the book. My love language is food. <laughs> tell, me, tell me you love me, it means nothing to me. Go stick your love somewhere. But buy me a chicken shish kebab and I'm yours for life. Did you know, guys, did you know, did you know that God has a love language? God has a love language. His love language is obedience. If you love me, you will obey my commands. 
John 15, also in John 15, you're my friends if you do what I command you. Now, he's not talking like an insecure boyfriend or girlfriend, you know, if you really love me. It's not that. It's, it's kind of, this is, this is, this is, you know, this is his love, love language. I love, I love worshipping in song. We love it. It's so right. We're commanded to do it. It's all over the Psalms. But you know what? There's, there's a greater act of worship than singing. And that's obedience. Obedience is the ultimate act of worship. Absolutely finish with this. I said it earlier, but I was lying, but now I'm telling the truth. <laughs> I have a friend called J. John, and he's an evangelist. And um, I've noticed over the years, um, when he preaches the gospel, loads of people become Christians. And loads more become Christians when he preaches the gospel than when I preach the gospel. And it really annoys me, <laughs> if I'm honest. And uh, it really annoys me because, you know, I've listened to his talks. They're all right. <laughs> but so are mine. In fact, I'd go so far as to say John and I share talks. He writes them. I like to think I improve on them. And... <clears throat> And I've been puzzled and, and I thought, why is it that when he preaches the gospel, loads of people become Christians more than when I preach the gospel? And then, you know, I thought, oh, it's because he's got the anointing. And I'm sure that there, there is. Of course it's anointing. But I was like, why has he got the anointing? And then I discovered something. A while ago, um, Mondays are my day off. And um, he phoned me on Monday morning, you know, and after Sunday, and you just long for your day off. And he phoned me Monday morning and he said, uh, I'd like to take you out for lunch. And um, I'm a man of principle. There are certain principles by which I live my life. I'm not like other people. And one of the principles by which I live my life is I never refuse lunch when it's offered. And so I said, okay. And we, he took me to this restaurant in Old Amersham near where we live. And, and we went and sat down and the waitress came and with the menus. And I was hungry. You know, it been, you know, been an hour and a half since I'd eaten anything. And, <laughs> And it was, I was, I, and I was tired, and I just wanted to relax and have a day off with him, and we could have a good Christian gossip, gossip about other leaders, which is what you do when um, uh, the things we said about you. <laughs> what were John and Ellie thinking, we said? Uh, but anyway. <laughs> Anyway, sorry, I just, I, I enjoyed that one. I actually enjoyed that one. Um, and anyway, the waitress came with the menus and, Jay, and John starts to, you know, he says, hello, um, how long have you been working here? And she tells him, he says, is this what you'd like to do? What would you like to do with the rest of your life? And my heart started to sink. I thought, no, please, please don't. Please, no, no, no. And then... And then, and then she said, and then he said, would you like to know what I do? And I thought, you are, aren't you? And she doubtfully said yes. And he said, I'm an evangelist. Would you like me to tell you what an evangelist is? And by this stage, I was, I was tired and I was hungry and it was my day off and I hadn't eaten anything. And I, was, I wanted to slide under the table and I wanted to shout at him, John, shut up. Let her go to hell. I want my lunch. 
That is why J. John is an anointed evangelist and I'm not. Because J. John preaches the gospel before lunch on his day off. He, he's anointed partly because if you know him, he just can't, you know, he carry. How many people do you know that carry their own books around everywhere and give them to, to non-Christians, say, read it, and in two weeks we'll discuss it? The anointing rides on obedience. I believe in anointing, but it rides on obedience. And God's calling his church to live in obedience. I'll tell you one brief story to end, and then we're there. No. No. You see, I wasn't going to do that, but then you laughed. <laughs> then you laughed. And now, because you laughed at me, everyone's got to stay longer. <laughs> Rise up from this abusive leadership. <laughs> no. I just want to finish. I am finishing. No, no, listen, listen, listen. Shut up, we'll get over it quick. Um, you know what? We all have to work out how it works in our lives. And it's different for each of us. Can I just tell you with one story the way it works out in my life? Because this is what I do. This is what I do. And um, it won't be yours. Yours will be another way. But I want you to know how, exactly how it feels. Because I think we miss this. I've, the Lord said to me uh, uh, about three, four, four years ago, Mike, I want you to obey me in meetings and you've got safe and you've got comfortable. And I want you, if I tell you something, I want you to not put it through the grid of do you agree, is it safe? I want you to just do it. And I've been on this amazing adventure ever since. And just one little story from two years ago, I think it was two years ago. Um, there was a... Um, um, uh, it was one. It was the. Se it was one night at Soul Survivor, and the previous night we were rejoicing because the previous night two hundred young people gave their lives to Jesus for the first time, and we were like, "This is wonderful." Two hundred young people, and the next night um, I was due to speak uh, and I, uh, on on the gift of prophecy. Would you believe? And um, and just as I was about to speak. I just felt the Lord say to me, and when I say I felt the Lord say to me, you know, it's not hear ye, hear ye, God calling Mike, are you receiving me, tablet of stone on its way down, duck. It was like, it was like, oh, I just had a thought. Well, that's an interesting thought. Why would I think that thought? Is that you, Lord, or is that indigestion? And in my case, obviously, sometimes it's indigestion. But, but it was, this thought came into my head. There's someone here called Sam, and this morning he said to his friend, if they invite people to become, come forward to become Christians tonight, I think I might come forward. And I was like, as, as that came into my head, I thought, okay, well, I'll preach. And then at the end, uh, I might say, if anyone didn't become a Christian last night and you'd like to tonight, uh, then why don't you come forward? And there might be someone here called Sam and you said to your friend, da, da, da. And then the Lord said, no, I want you to do it now. And I was like, really? No, no, not now. There were 8,000 young people in that room. In that, and it was like, really? And, and I actually tried to start speaking, but I knew I was being disobedient, and I knew I'd made the vow. And so I stopped, and I said, guys, I'm sorry, but we just need to pause here. Um, 
I could have this wrong, but is there someone here called Sam? You said to your friend this morning, if they invite people forward to become Christians tonight, I think I might come forward. And um, I said, Sam, why don't you come forward now? We're going to wait for you. And immediately, I regretted being alive. <laughs> immediately. It was like, what the hell have I just done? Oh, no. And 8,000 pairs of eyes just stared at me, and I died. I was drowning. And it was like, this is horrible. Nobody moved. And it was like, how do I transition from this? And, and it's like, oh, no. Oh, no. I've got to preach on the gift of prophecy. What, they're not, no one's going to listen. <laughs> False prophet. Why should we listen to him? And then after ages, I just didn't know what to do. And, I felt I was and then this kid got up. And people around started clapping. And I thought, yes, thank you, God. I'll never do this again. Thank you. And he walked 10 paces and then sat down next to a girl he obviously fancied. <laughs> and I wanted to kill him. <laughs> and then it was like, it was like, this is a nightmare. And honestly, it was, Lord, I'm drowning. I'm drowning. And then this lad got up from the back and he walked down the aisle and he stopped there. And when he got close, we noticed he was shaking. And I said, are you Sam? And he nodded. And I said, did you say that to your friend this morning? He said, yes. I said, are you ready to give your life to Jesus? He said, yes. Andy and some others jumped from the stage, stood with him in front of 8,000 people. We led him in a prayer of repentance and commitment to Jesus. And then as he went back, we saw him go back and his friend ran to him and the two of them started hugging and they were crying together. And, um, and I found out um, his youth lead, the youth leader and some of the youth group came to see me the next day. They were so excited. They said, they said Sam's been not, he's not, a Christ, not been a Christian. I said, well, I gathered that. And, 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 they said, and they said, you know, it was his best friend that invited him to come and persuaded him to come. And Sam's been depressed and he's been doing drugs and, and all of that. And then that yesterday morning, he said to his best friend, you know what, if they make an invitation, I might go forward. And do you know, my question of the Lord, and I really do finish with this, my question of the Lord was, Lord, why, why, do we have, why does it have to be so theatrical? Why couldn't it have been at the end with everyone else? Why did you have to do that to me? You know I have a heart condition. You know, why, why did we have to go through that? And do you know, guys, the Lord answered me. When Sam prayed that prayer and said amen, immediately, as he started to walk back, 8,000 young people spontaneously stood and started clapping and cheering the Lord and Sam. And the Lord said to me, that's why because you were all rejoicing over 200 last night. And I wanted to show you, I will stop a whole meeting for one Sam, for one Sam. And I want you to know, it was scary. But you know what, it's a moment I'll remember till the day I die. Do you know the intimacy with the Lord Jesus? Wow. You're so, how did, you're so kind. How did you hold me up like that? 
How did you do that? How kind you are. How wonderful you are. How amazing you are. And you just did a miracle. And I got to see it. Do whatever he tells you. Not as a religious act, but as an act of love. As an act of love. 